Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Severs, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we begin the Silver King's writing, Dearest Ones, from June of 1945 in Europe. The European theater of operations remains quiet, and Stanley and his guys are still unclear about what the plan is for moving his unit, whether they'll go home or maybe to the Pacific. They're wondering, worrying, and looking for some diversions. As he writes from France on June 5th, 1945, Dearest Ones, I haven't written for a few days, as must be evident from the interval in my letters. Last Friday, two buddies and myself left here and were gone until last night. It was a wild, drunken orgy, but I feel none the worse from it, though maybe a little tired. One of the guys has a cousin stationed in Paris, so we decided to go see him. It was all on the spur of the moment, probably because we were so fed up and disgusted with this place. We would have almost welcomed any out. We knew we weren't authorized to go, nor how we would get there, but that didn't matter because we were going nonetheless. We only got as far as San Quentin on Friday night and left the next morning on the train for Paris. It was a swell ride. It only took three hours on a streamliner, just like being in the States. Paris was beautiful. The sidewalk cafes were open and doing big business. The Shams was as colorful as could be. It was jammed with soldiers as well as with pretty girls, all of whom seemed to be gay and extremely happy. We found a room in a small hotel off the Shams, then proceeded to join in the festivities of being gay, forgetting the past and future. During the days, we stood at the bars and sat in the sidewalk cafes, trying to recapture the feeling of living normally again. The nights were spent in the best nightclubs found in Paris, one named Lido. The drinks were good, though expensive, and the floor show would astound you. The chorus in one act do a dance with ladies bare from the waist up. Naturally, the Yanks go wild over this. Indeed, Paris is the gay city. Though I'm sure I couldn't stand a week of it, the body wouldn't take it. Well, we caught the train last evening, arriving here with that usual letdown feeling. Brussels last weekend and Paris this weekend. I suppose I'll have to stay in for a while now. The pocketbook has taken an awful beating. I found three of your very sweet letters on my bed, May 2-3, 2-4, and 2-5. It's well to know you're well and enjoying yourselves. I, too, am sorry Cece had to leave you, as am sure you will miss her good company. 
There still hasn't been any talk of going home nor of going to the Pacific. In fact, the latest rumor is that we will be the army of occupation, though it's still only a rumor. At present, we're doing nothing. Sitting idly, talking mostly of the states and home. That's why it's so hard to put up with, not knowing what will happen to us and thinking of what we could be doing if home. The suspense is maddening. We'll just have to keep waiting out and hoping for the best. I haven't received any packages lately, which I suppose is my fault. I hope you'll be able to find me the Bancroft flighter cap and green ties. Please send them as soon as possible. Also, send stationery, crab meat, and lobster. Thanks. There isn't any more news. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly, hoping you're well. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. P.S. I hope you'll receive this on the day of your anniversary. So my sincerest congratulations will be in order. You know, the day is as meaningful to me as it is to you, because on that glorious day, two of the sweetest, most wonderful persons in the world were married to later become my parents. I do wish, dearest ones, that this day will be one so happy for you and that next year we'll be able to celebrate together. Your loving son, Stan. Stanley writes wistfully now because he's had some great times in Paris and Brussels, and now he's back at his unit's base, and he's bored, wondering what's next. And he writes to his family on June 8th, 1945, from A72, north of Paris. Dearest ones, I do hope this finds you well and not too lonesome. Not having heard from you since returning from the weekend escapade naturally leaves me with a blue feeling. The mail is really screwed up now. I don't know how true it is, but they say we haven't an APO at the present, so our mail is neither coming in nor going out. No, I can't understand it either. Seems as though now, with the cessation of hostilities, it would be better than ever before, only it isn't. Consequently, I don't even know if this will be delivered any time in the near future. Things here are bad enough as is. Without mail only helps to make it worse. The four walls are becoming unbearable, or maybe I should say have become. Even in the dark days, I don't remember feeling so low. With nothing to do all day leaves too much time to think, and that's bad. I can only think of being home. How strange it would be, and how grand it would be. It's hard to imagine being home and having life as it was before. It seems so very long ago. Looking through my orders in a reminiscent manner today, I found that it was a year ago this month that I was home last. Time is passing so rapidly, it appears to be passing me by. 
At the moment, life seems to be stagnant and without purpose whatsoever. Perhaps I'm becoming fed up with the army life. I feel as if I've done my job, my part in the defense of my country. Now I only want to return to my own way of living, accomplish something which will only benefit me and mine. I hate to complain, to pile my troubles on you, but it's all welled up inside and I can't go on keeping it within me. I'm sure you can understand my feelings and will forgive me. There have been no new developments as to our future. A lot of rumors, but that's all. How I wish something would develop soon, good or bad. Keep well, dears. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. Our hero, the Silver King, is struggling with what sounds like a bit of post-war depression, and understandably so, in the sense that he and his guys have been busy They have been warriors doing their jobs. The war in Europe is done. And he and his fellow riders are ready to go home. He writes to his family from A72 North of Paris on June 9th, 1945. Dearest ones, another day with no mail, and it begins to appear as if we are the forgotten group. Things are bad but no mail makes it practically despicable. Everyone is groaning and moaning about the situation. The colonel claims everything is being done to remedy it, but as yet there have been no results. Naturally, it had to start a rumor to justify a reason, and it's really a lulu. It seems that when an outfit is slated to return to the States, its mail is automatically stopped 30 days before the date of embarkation. How completely marvelous it would be, if only true. However, the colonel claims there is absolutely no truth in it. I'm deeply regretful to say. He claimed, perhaps to impress us, that only six people know the future plans for the group, that they are top secret, consequently can't be divulged, not even to us to whom it most concerns. So your guess is as good as mine, only I wish the mail would begin again. Well, last Saturday night I was in Paris, slightly tight and having a hell of a good time. How different my surroundings are now. No pretty girls, no orchestra, no bar. Just the lonely four walls and I. Indeed, not very exhilarating, to say the least. Luckily, three years ago, at the time of my enlistment, I didn't know all of this, for I'm quite sure the Army would still be looking for me somewhere in the Everglades. You can certainly discount anything I ever said about remaining in the army after the emergency. Why, they couldn't make me a general to stay. I would not care if I had to stand in the breadline for 10 years. I would never see anything good about the army. But complaining certainly won't relieve this situation. I only regret I haven't what it takes to take it in my stride. I was up early this morning 
for the first time in a long while. Tomorrow, there is a big air review for some brass hat. So today, we had to practice. That means I'll probably have to get up early again tomorrow. I don't mind getting up early, only it makes the day seem so much longer. They are long enough as is, for it doesn't get totally dark here until 11 p.m. I wish I could have been in the States today to see the Derby. Did Rose R. go up this year? I imagine she won either way. It's midnight here now, but it's only five there, so I'm still hoping they might broadcast it. I guess you're at the club tonight. Wouldn't it be nice if all of us were sitting around a table, having lots of fun? There isn't any news, so I'll confine my jabbering until a later date. Other than being terribly homesick, I'm fine and thinking of you constantly, hoping you're well. Love to Ida. Tell her I'm sorry I can't make it for breakfast tomorrow, but that I'll dream of those hot biscuits. I love you and miss you. Stan. As our hero, the Silver King, dreams of Ida's hot biscuits, Paris, and getting home, we have reached the end of part one of the Silver King's letters, Dearest Ones, that he wrote from Europe during June of 1945. And you are listening to The Silver King's Ward.